Weekly news by iGaming Next is brought to you by Playson, quality games since 2012. Hello everyone and welcome to yet another edition of iGaming Next Weekly News Live. Weekly News Live. Hopefully it will get better than that today. Connor, how are you doing, mate? You look incredibly uh, smart. The gruesome twosome back in operation. Yeah, I'm doing well, thank you, Jake. Coming to you live and direct from iGaming Next New York City. Uh, I'm here in Manhattan, Midtown at the Convene, um, feeling a bit like Harry Potter in the cupboard under the stairs here. We've got these little meeting booths for you to take calls in, so we've got a bit of soundproofing, uh, managed to get away from the hustle and bustle of the conference, which actually hasn't opened yet, so there's not that much hustle and bustle yet, although the anticipation is palpable. How are you, Jake? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you, mate. So your your little booth there is probably not quite as glamorous as your as your outfit is. Um, can we have a look at your tie? That looks awesome. The tie, yes. This one's very good for weddings because it yeah. is floral. Beautiful. It, um, I'm not showing off, but it is from Hawes and Curtis. So wow. there you are. But it also works nicely in a conference scenario. So um, versatile. That's what I'd say. Versatile. Yep. Or. Right? <laughs> Connor has his own menswear podcast on the side, so um, we'll give that a bit of a plug later on. The fragrance um, is from Finale Green Lay, a nice, green, fresh, uplifting fragrance. Oh, don't, don't, don't start on the fragrances. It'll, it'll never stop. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. Thank you so much for getting up so early, Connor. I know you've got a busy day ahead, but it wouldn't be a weekly news without you. So pleased to have you with us, and it also wouldn't be a weekly news without our live audience, obviously. Um, so hello to everybody that's tuning in. Good morning if you're in New York. Um, but there's a bunch of us in Europe as well, including Bogdan, who says hello to New Yorkers from a cloudy Europe. Bogdan, it's great to have you with us, as always. Um, it might be cloudy where you are. It's absolutely freezing where I am. It's actually snowing. It's minus two degrees and my boiler's broken down. So I've actually been sat um, sat all morning with my hat on like this, like trying to stave off the, uh, the icy temperatures. But I'm a bit warmer now. I've got some company, Connor. Yeah, but if you get the hat on, it, it makes you look quite hip. It looks, we look like one of those cool guys, <laughs> these hip young cool guys doing one of their new podcasts. <laughs> really? I've been called a fisherman and a bit and a bin man, but I'll take I'll take a cool hipster podcast guy as well, mate. <laughs> right, we've digressed a hell of a lot at the top of this pod. Um, I would like to say a big thank you also to Playson, our sponsors, um, for making this possible. Hello to Elizabeth, who says she loves the hat, and hello to Danny and Alexki and to Lars. Thank you so much for joining us. I should probably say what our agenda is today. Um, so we've got a pretty special show lined up. We've got um, a friend of the pod, Phil Pearson, joining us soon to talk about the recent fines issued by the KSA uh, in the Netherlands, which have caused you know a massive stir within the industry. Uh, and then Phil might have some more important things to focus on. Me and Connor are going to discuss the highlights of our game in next New York City, day one. Um, I think one of my highlights so far, Connor, was seeing pictures of Nico Janssen of uh, 10 in 5 fame uh, do the Bragg Gaming run around Central Park, only he did it while cycling a bike. <laughs> he didn't do any running at all. 
and friends of the pod will know that, that he's likely to blame his bad knee on that, I think, which he's um, using as an excuse to stop him from kind of dancing on the podiums at Fire and Ice before as well. Um, but he's not here to defend himself, so we can definitely uh, take the mick out of him for that, Connor, I think. Yeah, well, I have been <laughs> to Nico a few times, actually, and it's been very nice to see him face to face because we don't get to see him very often. I was not, I can't criticise because I was certainly not at the run club at seven o'clock in the morning in Central Park. I can assure you of that. Better than not at all. Exactly. Um, right. If you're watching, as always, please do get involved in the live chat. Um, audience participation is, you know, a really key part of this format. Um, and it wouldn't be the same without you guys. Um, and with Phil on, he usually has a hell of a lot to say. So, yeah, let's keep the discussion going. And um, I also wanted to wish a happy International Women's Day um, for for yesterday to all of our female listeners as well. Um, let's jump straight into it on the KSA stuff. And we can bring Phil on, I think, uh, if Nico's pushing buttons for us in the background. Phil, there you are. How are you doing? Hello, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thank you very much. You are not in New York. You are in Poland. Is that right? Yes. Basically, I mean, I'm going to move. I'm in a place with beautiful ceilings, you know, from all the money that we're wow. stealing from the <laughs> Dutch government. So I've decided to buy it. I bought, I bought a palace. Screw it. <laughs> nice. That explains the, uh, the chandeliers or whatever you've got in the background now, I suppose. <laughs> no, I'm in a hotel. <laughs> very nice. Um, so just to introduce this topic, I'm sure most of our listeners will be familiar already, but basically the KSA, which is the Dutch regulator, um, has imposed 26 million euros worth of fines across five different operators at the beginning of this year, um, which has kind of been quite a significant sort of ramp up in its enforcement um, so far. But Phil, let's start with your situation as well, because I know... So, so you said it was made made public in April that you, you were on the kind of wrong end of one of these KSA sanctions as well. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, so they um, they find us for a couple of different reasons. Um, they use the phrases targeting the Netherlands, which obviously we don't do because you can't sign up to our sites from the Netherlands. Um, they, they just use a lot of vague kind of estimates in their fines. There's no, there doesn't seem to be any real actual work involved in it it's like when you look at some of the casinos that they find especially like video slots for example who they mm. came after for having a logo on their site for a couple of hours because they were testing launching their dutch license site it's it's honestly baffling i mean ours they had one semi-valid point to begin with which we fixed immediately and then they just they went on some kind of crazy rampage to be honest yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the feedback we've had from every operator on, on the receiving end of one of these. Um, you mentioned video slots, and that was, at the time, a record of, of nearly 10 million. And then a couple of days later, another one came out of, of more than 12 million for M1 Interactive. And it sounds like pretty much every operator is, is fighting against this enforcement for, obviously, the reasons you've mentioned, but other reasons as well about um, the video slots letter in, in particular was really interesting where they basically said um you know they've not actually assessed the findings of its investigation against the legal framework it, it set out itself it's kind of a you know a um 
kind of experimental approach, if you like, to, to this regulation. And I think something the industry seems to have taken particular umbrage with is this kind of mystery shopping technique of, of uh, you know, trying to gain access illegally um, rather than actually checking what the operators themselves have enforced. So what, what what's your perspective on that? Yeah, so I mean, I can I can only say what I'm allowed to say. I have legal mm -hmm. advice on what I can't say. But um, for example, the account that the um, Dutch government used to access our site was created from a Luxembourg address before the actual turn off of the Dutch um, players that we have. And then they logged in from an IP which is not tracked to any country in the world. So we, we can prove this, it's simple, but they're playing from a Luxembourg account with a non-trackable IP and saying that they're a Dutch account because they used, I don't know, maybe they put their address in Dutch when they went to the banking page, but there's nothing illegal about that. They're basically trying to enforce their own player protection upon the casinos who are operating online. It's like we, we take the accountability for their job. Like we're meant to block IP access for anyone in the Netherlands, but that's illegal. We're not allowed to do that. That's enforcing kind of control upon the internet, which you're not allowed to do. So it just, it makes no sense to their approach for me, especially even how they come up with the fines. It's, it's very confusing as to what their actual agenda is. I mean, we all, yeah. yeah. No, no, well, no, you've touched on the other really interesting point there in that, you know, how are these fines determined? Um, Again, nearly every operator has said this is, you know, this is kind of an incorrect way of doing things. We don't know how they've come up with this number um, because obviously it's different if you're a Dutch licensed operator with certain reporting requirements where it's easy mm. to take, a, you know, an annual turnover figure, for example. But for the likes of you guys and, and video slots, you know, what are they doing aside from just plucking it out of thin air? I don't know if you can elaborate I, on that. I, yeah, I did the maths. So, so they base it on that each visit to the site is worth for us about 230 euros. And I don't know if you've ever visited a casino, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> no one on average visits a casino. He not even logs in, just goes to the homepage. This could be bots, um, Google bots, anything and the net worth of that click is 230 euros it wouldn't surprise me if it was like 23 cents or something then that makes more sense but i think the average across the whole industry the average player value to a casino in profit is about 250 250 euros or something like that depending on the country the dutch are saying that the average player if he visits the casino just once to one page is worth 250 euros to that casino is clearly showing some ineptitude on how they come up with the maths on this because I I tried a lot to make it work and I value each click at about three cents. So okay. a bit of a difference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, quite quite substantial difference. Um those original numbers sound like if it was Connor that was visiting the online casino. Uh <laughs> he needs to pay for the tithe. So I mean he needs to make the money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um obviously, you know, regulating a whole country's gambling industry is, is not an easy task. I think we're all appreciative of that. And, and the Netherlands is a relatively new regulated market. We've seen kind of, you know, Sweden go through a similar period to this where there was a lot of teething issues. Um, and the, the Netherlands Gambling Authority said this week that aside from the fines, they've also got 
uh, a problem at the moment in terms of like discrepancies in the way that operators approach responsible gambling and enforce their duty of care on customers, basically. Um, they said there's no kind of consistent way of reporting this, which is making it very hard to govern. Yeah. Now, that's understandable, but how much of that comes down to their own regulations and gaming act and whether they've left that open to interpretation or not no i i mean i've been saying this for a while so it's like if you even if you read the mga if you read any country's um responsible gambling act it's very v uh, vague so i mean if you look at the player protection act of the mga for example it just says you need a tool it doesn't say which tool it doesn't say how to use it it just says as long as you have a tool you're pretty much okay so when it comes to the Dutch, again, they've been quite vague. So I, I can use us for an example under the MGA. We have a team of five RG people looking after our MGA license. We have thresholds in place. We have um, two systems that we use, one for fraud and one for validation of accounts. Um, we get full KYC on deposits. We manage and control everything. So, I mean, that to me is a good system. But when it comes to the MGA approving it, that's fine because they're quite vague. But when it comes to the Dutch, if you're going to be vague, you can't then go after people for the fact that you were vague to begin with. It's it's like having a relationship with someone and just saying, oh, we can have an open relationship and then being a bit upset when they cheat on you. It's like it doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I think they've gone about this, especially when they launched it within about two days of deciding to launch it. I just don't think they've um, done a very good job, to be honest. So I, I do think they're going to need to revisit heavily on kind of solidifying the player protection views, also how they work out and calculate fines, and yeah. even how they're allowed to find people. Like breaking the law to sign up to a website and then finding that website, we should technically be able to sue them for breaking the law. So it's... You can have this both ways. Like if they're going to break the law themselves, that that makes a very much more interesting scenario for the operators who they're coming after. Yeah, that's really interesting. And um, I mean, obviously, I've said you know I sympathise. It's not the easiest job in the world. But in most regulated markets, you'd see sort of one or two cases of enforcement action that are contested. Um, but if this is happening with every single fine that they try and enforce for one reason or another, that's not a sustainable environment at all for, well, the regulated gambling sector, but also the regulator itself. Because if you either take, you know, administrative or judicial processes escalated to the courts, etc., like most operators have said they're going to, that's going to become really costly for the KSA, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty soon. So... Is that something that could potentially change their approach to this, or are the noises you're hearing that they're sort of fairly stuck in their stuck in their own ways of doing things at the moment? No, I mean this. We we were we were basically given a hearing, so we have a hearing with them in April, which came as a surprise to us because we don't know if they've given anyone else a hearing before. I mean, I I doubt this is to do with me posting about them, but it's probably to do with the fact that we might well have a good legal argument to this. I would say. So I think when it comes down to it, if they are starting to have hearings and to actually speak to the operators properly, maybe they have seen a bit of light in the fact that, I mean, I'll be honest, a couple of their fines are legitimate. So looking at who they're fining, 
it makes a bit of sense. But when it comes down to like the people who you can't even sign up from the Netherlands, it just it's beyond belief that you can't even contest this up to now. And like you're in Malta, they're in Dutch. How are they going to enforce it? There's a whole there's a whole background to this that's going to need kind of scoping out by people. But from what I've heard between the operator community, everyone is on the same page. So I think if we're going to fight it, I would say we're going to fight it together, I would say. I don't think it's going to be just like us or just video slots. I think everyone's going to get involved, I would I would say, unless they have a Dutch license. Yeah, that's right. I think we've seen quite a united front so far <clears throat> on LinkedIn, and that's just a microcosm, really. Uh, I think one one question that always seems to come up on the topic of regulation is kind of, a common sense approach versus, you know, interpretations in black and white, right? Mm. Um, and it sounds like the Netherlands are, are taking the latter. Like you mentioned the video slots, um, the KSA's logo appearing on their website. Like in the rules, that's a breach because they're not licensed. But if they're testing it for when they do eventually get their license and then rectify that mistake ASAP, you know, you could argue a common sense approach would be to kind of take that with a pinch of salt. But no, that was used as actually one of the, the main, the sort of main breaches in their in their overall fine, which was, like we've said, a record at the time of, of, of 10 million euros. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's baffling because it's like that is something that you as a regulator would want the sites to check. You'd want them to make sure that the RG links work, that the link to the regulator works, that everything is in place. You can only do that on sandbox or on the test site for so much you then have to check it in production so if it's if it's being tested and it works and it's there for a minimal period of time and if the ksa is so good at um kind of like checking traffic to things surely they'll be able to see how many people clicked on that link then they would assume assumably um have a common sense approach to this which is they're trying to abide by our laws they're going through the right stages we're going to help them it doesn't seem that there's much help in this scenario. It's more like searching for victims, searching for the next finable casino out there that they can make profit on or make a case out of to try and scare people off doing it. And that's what it seems to come down to. I wouldn't be surprised if any of these fines didn't actually get enforced, but this was all used just to try and scare people out of the market. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That's not something I'd, I'd considered, but... Yeah, I think one of the most stinging comments I saw kind of said they're just using this as a way to, to generate generate revenue, which, uh, you know, w wouldn't be my maybe, opinion. Maybe they're on commission. Maybe the guy has <laughs> like 10% dividends of anything that they find. Um, so the, the other topic, aside from common sense, that comes up with, with regulation is this idea of collaboration, right, between the regulators and the industry itself. Um, and... Obviously, you know, the industry can't self-govern necessarily, but I think it's important that there are those avenues of communication there because the industry has a specialist knowledge and the regulators could learn from that. Is this kind of thing and this kind of approach we're seeing likely to basically sow division between the regulator and, and, and even the regulated industry as well as those that are kind of potentially applying for a licence? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a few, I mean, if you look at, like I say I know most about the MGA, so if you look at them, they do have some meetings with operators. I've never been in one, but they they meet lawyers, they meet kind of local business people in gaming and get ideas from them and kind of discuss what their plans are. 
but when it comes to the big regulations around the world there's a, there's a lot less of that they kind of go more political than actual business sense like if they're if they're actually worrying about looking after the players the people that know the most about that are casino operators and rg heads of rg heads of aml those are the people that you'd want to speak to rather than especially as the dutch have done it they're now looking at doing in the uk with having this run by someone in parliament they're just they're doing it politically they'd make using it to make a point oh gambling's bad and for some people gambling is bad but you also want them want the people who do gamble to gamble on a site in your jurisdiction you don't want to force them offshore if they end up in some costa rica or somewhere or unlicensed worst case they're going to get screwed over pretty badly because maybe they won't get paid maybe they'll be kind of have the balances removed for no reason maybe you're funding whatever you might be funding that you wouldn't be funding with a proper regulated market. So I, I think they need to see some common sense and either work together as regulators and operators combined, or at least each individual reg regulator bringing in some kind of Q&A session, some kind of open forum where you can actually speak to them. Like they're always hidden in mystery and deceit in a way especially look at germany last year when they launched theirs it's mm -hmm. it's impossible to speak to anyone from the german regular unless you're at a conference and they're doing a talk to say how well it's going it's yeah really hard to speak to anybody it just it's it's not a system that you would expect especially in government like your member of parliament is meant to be there to speak to you if you have a problem they have open sessions we don't have that in gaming it, it seems very kind of two-sided and one side has all the power and the other side has all the ideas but luckily a lot of the time the people with the ideas have a way to get not around the people with the power but we can sidestep some of the stupidity i would say not necessarily touch just in general yeah yeah <clears throat> no really interesting thoughts i think you talked about uh a kind of deterrent and i think if you assess the sort of fines that have been dished out in the netherlands uh, in the regulated sector compared to the unregulated, or not unregulated, unlicensed sector, I should say. You know, I think the highest so far for a regulated company is like 400,000 euros or something like that. And then we're jumping up to sort of 12 million, ad admittedly for a, a repeat offence, they said. But um, yeah, they've kind of drawn a line there, haven't they? It's going to be but difficult to go, to go back on. Yeah, especially with like 12 million, 10 million. I mean, Video Slots does quite well, but you can see from the history and stuff 10 million is a, is a lot like I, I would i would bet every single thing that i have and will ever have that they have not made that much money in in any way from that market even if they were operating illegally which but it's it's just the numbers that they come up with and how they base those decisions are speculative for, for want of a better word or just fraudulent to be fair for an actual word for it it's it's a gross overestimation of their own power and it would need to be argued quite heavily i think from the operators or if it gets to it then legally because yeah. it's like we're, we're being blamed for everything they're doing wrong like they don't police their own players they don't police their own environment they haven't got proper rg but then they're blaming other people for not following the fact that they don't do anything <laughs> it makes no sense it's wildly disproportionate <clears throat> Yeah, and video slots said that their turnover figure was determined incorrectly and carelessly um, by the regulator. So <laughs> that's a nicer uh, way than saying what I just said. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, always one to speak your mind, Phil. Um, okay, any final words on the Netherlands gentlemen uh, before we move on to the next topic? No? no okay, we'll leave it there. I don't think of anything to add. Cool. Uh, just before we do, I'd like to say hello to Bernd, who joined us from Berlin. Hello to Gokce, I think, from Colombia. And hello to Eulina, who's also in Poland, Phil. Uh, there we go. It's a small world. <laughs> I mean, Poland's a big place, but maybe she'll turn up in Wrocław. <laughs> right. Uh, moving on to New York. Obviously, our event is going on there at the moment, and we've got one story from that that we're going to do a bit of a, a deep dive into shortly. But, Connor, you were there, obviously, on the ground yesterday for day one. Um mm -hmm. How was it? What was the kind of atmosphere like? What's the uh, what are the talking points in in the room? It's been really great so far. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to everybody else getting here. It looks like people have started arriving again for day two as well. But day one was great. We've had a massive range of discussions. Actually, we're running two two separate conference streams at once. So we've got our main iGaming track, and then we had Invest next which is a lot more investment focused. We've been uh, discussing all sorts around sports betting and online casino, of course, um, affiliate marketing, the VC investment side of things. We looked at some new companies. There was a great panel yesterday um, with Joe Levy from Simple Bet and Better and some of those, uh, some, some other guys from some of these like young up-and-coming companies doing something a little bit differently we've had the sports leagues here we've had guys from the nfl the nba mlb um talking about their relationship with sports betting and gambling um and then later today we're going to have all sorts uh still to come about regulation responsible gambling industry reputation so there's loads going on loads and the atmosphere is really nice it's really kind of uh, got a real buzz to it and everybody's obviously quite excited good um, glad to hear it you sound uh, you sound a little croaky i'm assuming the networking is going well as well yeah that's from the karaoke last night i'm afraid <laughs> um yeah plenty of uh, plenty of chatting to be done had a, a you know several good meetings and yeah, not stop talking all day, which, as you know, is not like me at all, Jay, usually. <laughs> right. One name that uh, that caught my eye on the agenda yesterday was Adam Greenblatt, who is, of course, the chief executive of BetMGM, which is the third biggest operator in the US by GGR market share. Um, and something he said caught my attention, and we've done a bit of a story on that, if Nico wants to introduce it. Um Really interesting this. So basically, CNBC broke a story as um, as they were live on stage that World Wrestling Entertainment, WWE as we know it, uh, is in discussions with some US state regulators over the prospect of legalizing betting on high profile wrestling matches. Obviously, that's interesting, but these events are scripted. Let's not forget the result is predetermined. Um, so that led to a really lively discussion where Contessa Brewer from CNBC basically said to BetMGM's chief executive, would you be interested in taking bets on WWE? And he said, what, Connor? He said, NFW. Which stands for no flipping way or something like that. Exactly, yeah. yeah. He, he, he didn't mince his words. That was his reaction. He was put on the spot. 
Um, now, what are your thoughts on this to begin with? Phil, we've got you on the pod still, so do you want to weigh in here? I know you're a bit of a, a wrestling fan. Do you have a Dom Delicra? Well, I mean, <laughs> Dom Delicra, yes, but for wrestling, no. It's more of a, you know, like a deviant type thing. Um, no, I mean, I, I do sports betting. We're adding sports betting to our sites now, so this kind of fits. Don't, don't kind of, you know about it. Um, and then, so, I mean, looking at it, would we take bets on WWE? I mean, you can have, it's, it's scripted. It's like they, they want to work with Ernst & Young to give them the results up front so that they can check for, like, manipulative betting. But if you have someone like The Rock, is the only one I know against, I don't know, Unicorn Dave, I'm just making up names. <laughs> um, and then you just see a flurry of bets on one or the other. I mean, how are you going to know? It's like every sport in the world is a sport because it can be, it's down to skill, it's down to chance, it's down to one of a million things, but you can't have a scripted event being bet on. So NF, NFW is definitely what I'm going to go with as well. As well. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, so, I mean, the question you raised there quite rightly is on integrity and, you know, the potential for betting on fixed outcomes, um, which is an obvious concern. But what I would say in counter to that is that in the UK, for example, you can bet on uh, you can bet on the next James Bond, right? Or you can bet on who's going to win sports personality of the year. And and those kind of things are predetermined as well. And you were right to, to mention Ernst & Young because in the States, you'll get these accounting firms that basically know who's won the Oscars or who's won the Emmys and they are basically sworn to secrecy. Um, but they are allowed betting markets on that. And I think the WWE is pushing for a similar kind of concept to basically legalise betting on the sport because they are missing out on an awful lot of... Uh, you know, additional revenue from from basically not partnering up with the betting industry, as we've seen MLB do, NFL, which once hated the idea of betting, has now sort of, you know, gone all in on on sports betting, if you like. So you can see where they're coming from. Um, and FanDuel and DraftKings do offer kind of betting on the Academy Awards. So is this really any different to that? Yeah, I mean, the, the big the big difference is the Academy Awards is a one-off event. You mm -hmm. have only two people counting the votes of, of what is it, eleven thousand people vote for each award, and then they count them, they accrue them, and then the winners are announced on one night as long as they get the names right. But when when you compare that to WWE, like one single award event where there's you can only really bet on four outcomes. And the odds are not in that much favor. And the max bet is 50 or 100 euros. Even on stake.com, you can't bet more than 100 euros. But you compare that to wrestling, which is, what, eight or nine different fights each night. And then there's going to be, what, 50 events in a year or something because they go on tour. And all the wrestlers have to know who's going to win. All of the staff have to know because they're going to watch kind of who's going to be flying out of a ring, when the script is meant to happen, what they're meant to do. You can't keep it secret from... 500 people because one of them is going to be offered 50k 100k to give out that as a result but at the oscars i mean you're not you're not going to do that because you don't know the result only two people know it but as a wrestling 500 people have to know it yeah and it no, just it, it's a very different scenario i just i don't see them getting through with this it'd okay. be fun if they did because i'll happily offer someone 50k to give me all the results
<laughs> yeah, interesting. So I've got a little screenshot for you here, which was flagged by Alan Bowden on Twitter, and it's of Paddy Powers' European sports book this morning. Uh, not that one, Nico, the, the green one, if you've got it. There we go. So this, like so many things that the US kind of goes crazy over, is already happening in in Europe. Paddy Power is owned by Flutter Entertainment, which is the same company that owns uh, FanDuel, obviously. Um, so this is down as a special bet market or a novelty bet market on Paddy Power uh, UK licensed sportsbook. And what? So you can bet on the outcome here, but basically what they've said is that the maximum payout is a hundred dollars. So. You know, the user is betting for fun in the knowledge that they know it's scripted and you can't win crazy money on it because of the integrity concerns. So is that potentially a, a way around this? Because I know you said similar for the Oscars markets, for example. Yeah, I mean, if you limit the max bet, it's not worth it's not worth doing it. You'd have to create what, like 10, 20,000 accounts, have them all work symbiotically to create... And also, as soon as one or two start betting on it, the odds of that one are going to come down. Like, if you go to Caesars or MGM now in Vegas and put a million on, I don't know, the Atlanta Falcons to win the um, Super Bowl, that's going to change the odd lines by a couple of points. If you go on and you see a 1,000 people queuing up all going to bet on the Falcons, that's going to change the line by a lot more because it's, yeah. it's a widespread belief. It's, it's market manipulation at that point. I don't... I just... I see... If you're going to allow a 50, 50 pound, 100 pound max win, then sure, it's it's a bit of fun. But once you start seeing people are winning consistently, are they? Do you close them down? Are they scamming you? Do they have inside knowledge? It's it just creates a kind of problematic nightmare, which actually comes back to regulation because you're meant to flag this stuff as an operator that people are illegally betting or kind of trading inside information. This is how like cricket was in such bad kind of news for so long. So are you, are you really going to open up the WWE to that? Is that really worth it? I, I don't see how they would benefit from it. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I think right at the start of your answer there, you said, is it even worth it? And that's the main point. And we've got a tweet here from Dustin Galker, who was at Legal Sports Report for uh, a number of years and led their editorial he said, if there are sports books spending any amount of time or energy working on offering regulating WWE betting, please eject them into the sun because almost all of them should have far more important things to do. <laughs> Is that what you're but, getting at, Phil? Yeah, I, I, I mean, he said it far more in, more in more in a fun way than I would. But yeah, I mean, this isn't, if someone even comes to me with this, I would think about it for about 10, 15 seconds. And then just yeah, send it to oblivion because I mean, if, if cricket's risky, then scripted wrestling is definitely way too risky. Yeah, that's 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 fair. Um, and somebody else pointed out on that Twitter thread that up until about three weeks ago, somebody was leaking the outcome of every match on Reddit. So you know, there's your, there's your problem right there. Um, no, that's terrible. I mean, Bogdan in the chat said something. He said it's a PR yeah. bets offer. I mean, that makes sense. If you're offering a one-off bet to a new sign-up, saying, "Oh, you can pick the winner, get a hundred pound free if if you get it right or something," that that's a good kind of hook. But you then you can't offer the market then going forward. It's just it has to be a PR offer. It, it can't be a marketed uh, yeah. line on your site. You'd, you'd lose too much money. Actually, if Reddit, if Reddit, just go to Reddit. 
yeah, exactly. PR novelty, that's a bit of fun. There probably is a market for this, but I, I, you know, I would side with Dustin and say that's probably not something US operators should be prioritizing right now necessarily. Um, all right, gentlemen, we finished a bit early today, um, but those are the two topics we've had. Phil, I'm sure you've got more important business to be getting on with uh, in Poland. And Connor, I expect you want to join the content in New York um, as that's about to kick off. I don't want you to miss out on anything important. No, precisely. I better get in there into the conference for sure. Yeah, but thank you very much for joining us today. And to you, Phil, uh, much appreciated. Good to have you as a special guest. Uh, we'll keep a close me. eye on things in the Netherlands. Do keep us uh, up to date as well. And uh, We'll do some yeah. PR after our hearing. So I think mid-April we're going to do a big PR thing. I'll try and persuade you to have me back and we can talk about what happened. Yeah, no, good idea. A nice follow-up. Um, David Onyango says, hi from Kenya. David, hi and goodbye. We're just logging up. You joined us at precisely the wrong time. But great to have you with us. Um, and we'll be back the same time next week. So thank you very much and goodbye. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye-bye.